0: Okay, there we go. So, this is the Oregon Poison Center Journal Club for January 18th, 2007, and we are talking uh, about meth hemoglobinemia, and we're going to start out talking about a famous essay written by Bertrand Roche, the um, medical uh, journalist for the New York Magazine back in the 50s and 60s, and a famous essay he wrote, uh, Eleven Blue Men. So, Laura?
1: So, Eleven Blue Men is uh, a story within a book called The Medical Detective written by Burton Roche, who uh, wrote for The New Yorker magazine, and he covered stories of um, investigative epidemiology, uh, making public health fascinating and fun. And this story concerns our uh, topic of Journal Club, methemoglobinemia, and uh, brings it to light in a way that is uh, uh, very fascinating and uh, uh, unfolds like a detective story, as so much of uh, epidemiology is. So this is uh, occurring in 1944, Uh, in which an unusual uh, epidemic of elderly blue men struck uh, some emergency rooms in New York City. Um, These men, first one man came in and he was described as uh, having blue nose, uh, lips, ears, and fingers, all sky blue. He was unconscious and the blueness had spread over a large part of his body. And the initial thought was that it was just carbon monoxide poisoning. Although to find somebody lying alone on the sidewalk, as he was, uh, to be overcome by something that usually you would expect to be an asphyxiate in an enclosed space is a little weird. Um, They uh, surmised in the emergency department that if there was one, there's bound to be more. And they were rewarded by uh, several other blue men. They were all notably elderly and disheveled. Um, And uh, they... uh, they got nine, um, and uh, five of them were from the same uh, single-room occupancy hotel. Um, others had been found in condemned buildings or in front of the Eclipse Cafeteria uh, down uh, by City Hall. And uh, they all came in early in the morning. Um, and by the time the last uh, blue man had arrived, the Department of Health was notified. Uh, and the two uh, epidemiologists, the chief epidemiologist and uh, his uh his assistant were both uh, interviewed, and the events of the investigation unfolded through their uh, telling. Uh, It turned out that um, what these derelicts, as they're referred to in the article, although we know that that's not politically correct these days, uh, were victims of, was a type of poisoning that they note was so rare that there are only 10 previous outbreaks recorded in the medical literature. And remember, this is 1944. Um, And the... uh, the previous epidemics, uh, the largest um, number of people in a single outbreak was four, and that was in Algeria in 1926. So before we get to the cause, we'll go to their investigation. So Dr. Greenberg, the head uh, epidemiologist, stated that they sort of worked their way back to all of these men having been eating at the Eclipse cafeteria. So he sent his, uh, his man, Dr. Pelletieri, out there, and um, they all, and after interviewing Dr. Pelletieri went to the um, emergency department that had nine of the men, and they had uh, all gotten sick right after eating, the ones that were able to be interviewed, stated. Um, so they thought maybe what they ate was really the culprit, and it was probably food poisoning and not a gas. So they, uh, they investigated some more, and uh, Dr. Pelletieri actually went down to the cafeteria before getting a, he also got a blood sample from each of the men. And they sent the blood samples to a city toxicologist for overnight analysis. And they hit upon the diagnosis of methemoglobinemia. And uh, once they had come to that, uh, purely from the, um, the blue coloring, um, they had to figure out how you would get methemoglobinemia uh, from an epidemic of food poisoning. Um, and, you know, the other thing that they thought about was the suddenness of the onset of illness in these men, how quickly they fell after they ate. One of them didn't even make it past very far past the front door of the cafeteria, and that really ruled out food poisoning for them. <clears throat> Excuse me. So then they were thinking, well, maybe this was a drug. So Dr. Politeri, uh they state, they state in the article, having attended to his bloodletting, reached the Eclipse cafeteria at around 5 o'clock. Uh, he called the place strictly a horse market and dirtier than most, but the meals were cheap, 15 cents. And uh, they went around uh, looking at it, and the place was disgusting and they uh, had some findings. There were about 15 uh, code violations. Roaches, fly infestation, dirt, grease, refuse under the kitchen sink, um, and uh, there was a sewer pipe leaking, et cetera. So this wasn't the most savory place to be eating, but they had to look around and find out what were the men eating and where were the uh, exact ingredients. So they took uh, all the stuff that had been used to make the oatmeal in the morning, since this was the common denominator for all of the men, and the cook said, well, uh, here's the oatmeal, um, I use this, I use water, and I use salt. And there was an open gallon of salt standing on the stove, and he had pulled it down and he said, you know, I refill this every morning from a supply can. And uh, he said there were actually two on the shelf that morning. Uh, one was full of salt, and uh, the other one was full of sodium nitrate that they use in corning beef and making pastrami. So, uh, most people, so Dr. Pelletieri didn't think that there was anything wrong with this sodium nitrate, He took it along with the other um, sample from the other bucket that was supposedly salt, and they took it to a health department chemist who was going to have a report ready the following afternoon. And they do mark in the article that Dr. Pelletieri went to have lunch um, or an early dinner in a restaurant that he had a lot more confidence in than the Eclipse cafeteria. So he dropped by the Eclipse the next day, which was shut down, and he uh, spoke to the cook again. and apparently, they remark in the article, or Barton Rocher remarks, that Cook had apparently passed an uneasy night with his conscience, remarking that it was possible that he had absentmindedly refilled the salt can on the stove with the one containing the sodium nitrate. Well, Dr. Pelletieri had already thought about that, and uh, he told him not to worry. He didn't think that that was too important, and they were certain that nobody really wanted these men poisoned, that this was obviously some type of mistake. Um, they did find at the same time that the chief toxicologist reported that the men all had uh, high levels of methemoglobin. So, they uh, they were uh, still looking for reasons for this. Um, and what they what else? The other thing that they found from the uh, health inspection officer who was looking at the food uh, was that the salt can and the one that was supposed to be full of uh, sodium nitrate actually contained sodium nitrite not an insignificant difference, because once they learned that that there was nitrate involved, um, the the important point is that there was a big difference between nitrate and nitrite. Uh, They both look and taste more or less like table salt, but sodium nitrite is a much more powerful poison. Um, And they remark again that there had only been 10 outbreaks like this on record, and that sodium nitrite poisoning is so unusual that some of the standard toxicology texts don't mention it. So... They said, you know, actually nitrite is pretty common. Uh, It's used in treating heart conditions and high blood pressure, and that's something we still use it for. But it also has another use that makes the presence of it at this Eclipse cafeteria um, more plausible, and that is that it was used as uh, during the war and in recent years at that time, it had been used as a substitute uh, for sodium nitrate in preserving meat. And the government will permit it, but stipulates that the finished meat cannot contain more than one part of sodium nitrate for 5,000 parts of meat. And cooking will safely destroy that small quantity. Well, they had the cook pick up the handful of salt that he had thrown into the oatmeal, and they took this amount and weighed it. And it weighed about 100 grams. So they realized that the the proportion of nitrite in the cereal was considerably higher than one in 5,000. It was probably about 1 to 80 before cooking did destroy some of it. So they felt that they had cracked the code, but there was still one more fascinating detail and this detail is really interesting because they wanted to know well now how come 125 people ate oatmeal and only 11 got sick so you know it's not enough that they just ate uh, too much sodium nitrite everybody had the same cereal so they remade the cereal again uh, exactly as the cook had made it um, and then they uh, analyzed it and found it to contain two and a half grains of sodium nitrite So that dose uh, didn't match the toxic dose, which would be three grains. So that estimated 114 other people that ate the oatmeal were not expected to have gotten sick. But what pushed those 11 over the edge? Um, So then they came to realize that people who drink alcohol are often uh, uh, salt depleted, Uh, they have a subnormal concentration of sodium chloride, um, and they may not get enough through their diet or they may lose it more rapidly. For whatever reason, uh, they're more prone to add salt to their foods. So when they checked the uh, salt shakers, uh, they found them to contain sodium nitrate mixed in and uh, there was more than enough such that a spoonful of that salt contained more than half a grain. And uh, although they said that they could never really um, check the uh, table salt angle uh, because the men had all been discharged to various parts unknown at that point. Um, they did say that uh, the uh, chief uh, epidemiologist did say that that tied the case up for him morally and he knew that this was the right answer, despite not being able to verify it with the men. And uh, the article ends with um, the quote, any animal you know, whether a mouse or a man, tends to try to obtain a necessary substance that his body lacks. The final question had been answered.
0: Great, great summary of uh, a great essay on uh Puzzle the eleven women men, and uh, the fact that was, it wasn't just the oatmeal, but it was the extra table salt that, uh, that pushed neat. them over the top. Uh, <laughs> the,
1: the, the observation you know. that the alcoholics would want more salt in their diet—that's right. just fascinating. And the other stories in the medical detective are equally good. It's
0: still so, um, so cool. go on to the next article here, and it talks about. Uh, uh, again, methemoglobinemia in two children is written by Margaret Dolan and Naomi Lubin uh, in PEDS Emergency Care in 1987. And, and they basically had um, two cases here that came in on the same day to the year they were working at. And it looks like uh, Children's National Medical Center in Washington, D.C. And they both had the same problem, but from different causes. And so they wanted to help point out the difference between those two um, events. And the first case is a, is a four week old uh, child who was well until the day he showed up, and then he noticed he was blue, similar to our 11 blue men, and it was otherwise no problems, no cough, no, nothing exposed to, no mothballs, which was a known problem at the time. Um, he uh, had some clear fluids, he had some normal feedings, uh, but his mucous membranes were described as slate gray in color, um, and they gave him some IV fluid, and he had some acidosis, and they thought he had some sort of cardiology uh, defect, like a, a cyanotic heart disease, like a cardiology consult, and eventually when they drew some blood, they noticed it to be a hot chocolate brown in color, and that is a, a, a sort of the sine qua non for methemoglobinemia. and they got a methemoglobin level on him, and it was 46%, and they sent a G6PD screen on him. It was uh, uh, normal, um, and we'll talk about why that's important, and he ended up getting the antidote methylene blue, and his acidosis and diarrhea um, got better and he was able to uh, go home um, routine pediatric care. And a few hours later, a second child came in, uh, this is a five-month-old, um, had um, a uh, d- diagnosis of athepoid and spastic cerebral palsy with uh, mental retardation. And he appeared sleepy, lethargic, and had, quote, bad, poor color. And he had constipation, which he was being treated with castoria, which I assume is castor oil, um, and, but was not getting any other um, exposures, no insecticides, no mothballs, no preserved meats, as we saw with the making of the salami and pastrami. That would have been the effect of the eleven blue men. Um, but they noticed he had a funny color, so they did some blood tests on um, both him and his parents earlier, and no one knew what the results of those tests were and so the family history wasn't obtainable, they hooked him over, he had some uh, odd physical findings consistent with his uh, uh, mental uh, uh, retardation, and they put some, uh, drew blood gas on him, put it on a filter paper, and they diagnosed methemoglobinemia, sent a methemoglobin level on him, and it was also in the 40s, 43%, in this case, Um, And they also checked for several other enzymes, uh, eventually G6PD and methemoglobin reductase. And he instead got treated with 500 milligrams of ascorbic acid vitamin C three times a day. This was felt that he probably had some sort of congenital form of methemoglobinemia. So these are the two different types of methemoglobinemia that can occur and uh, basically Meth-hemoglobin is the iron in the 3-plus state, the ferric state, and I always prefer to use 3-plus or, or the numerical number, versus the normal physiologic state, which is ferrous or 2-plus. If you remember it's 3-plus, in order to convert it back to normal, which is 2-plus, we need to add an electron. So you have one negative and three positives, you get back to two positives, and therefore normal hemoglobin, and that's, in fact, how meth- he- methylene blue, the antidote, works is by being an electron donor. But our body is always subject to oxidant stress and it makes small amounts of methemoglobin, uh, which represents about 1% of the total of erythrocyte hemoglobin on a daily basis, but we have a couple of enzymes like NADH, methemoglobin reductase, which is now known as cytochrome B5 reductase, um, and also small contributions, from, which is the main way it's excreted from our body or uh, decomposed in our body, but there's also contributions from glutathione and ascorbic acid that have minor role and another enzyme uh, that also works in a minor role as well. So um, there's two forms. There's an inherited congenital form, um, where you can have um, NAD methamoglobin reductase deficiency, or you can have a hemoglobin M, which is an abnormal hemoglobin. Um, And these folks uh, have polycythemia. Talk about that. you know, with differential polycythemia, they're chronically cyanotic from birth. Um, they may have been.